Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. A graduate of Carnegie Mellon University's Conservatory Theater Program, Beth Dolan began her writing, directing, producing career in the Manhattan stage world. In series television, she's worked with socially conscious series creator icons Norman Lear of Who's the Boss, Diane English of Foley Square, Murphy Brown, and Mike Milligan of Los Beltran. Through their mentorship, she developed the belief that storytelling for the screen can have tremendous social impact and reach huge audiences. Her company is Coyote Path Productions. Her feature-length documentary, Regresso, an intimate, character-driven story set against the unsettled political backdrop of today's Cuba, enjoyed its world premiere at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival and continues to be screened by audiences worldwide. Beth is a member of the Writers Guild of America, Women in Film, and Supercharge Your Distribution, an international documentary filmmaking community headed by Peter Broderick and Keith Oshwat. Carol, I understand that Beth and Louise Remisar of Coyote Productions won your grant for their film, Stranger at Home. Absolutely. Yes, Claire, and I'm so proud to have Beth on the show with us today. Beth, thank you very much for joining us. Gosh, Carol, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And Claire, thank you for that lovely introduction. My goodness, I, I'm just like, this is lovely. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> Great. A lot of things you've done in your lifetime. Yes. Well, you know, uh, I met uh, Lewis, who's the other half of the team, in the <laughs> 90s when he was producing a show called Health Styles. He helped me on the set. I was producing the show, and he was brilliant. He's such an exceptional filmmaker. So um, it, there's a lot that we want to cover today. We want to learn about your plans for distribution in the new mm-hmm. world, as Peter Broderick calls it, and who you're working yes. with as partners, etc. But first, let's start with your company, Coyote yeah. Productions. Tell us what you do. Well, it's, it's, it's Coyote Pass Productions, and Coyote is a great word. We named our company because the coyote is a clever and resilient and resourceful animal, and um, so that's been our banner for a long time, and we've had to be that in our work. Um, we've done everything as a soup-to-nuts production company uh, where, where we develop the idea, the campaign for a client, and we deliver it all the way through to a completed visual. And we've done everything from commercials to PSAs to short-form documentaries. These are for uh, other clients and, and all along producing our own 
uh, projects that are of, that have been just our babies and are important to us. So that's what we do. Where you know we we've really you know you you mentioned my my other half, my partner um, Luis, and he is a jack of all trades. He's an editor. He's a director. He's a cinematographer. And I'm fortunate to be surrounded by that kind of a team that has all of the hybrid skills needed to just really create something from from the beginning on the page and then deliver it through the delivery uh, in a visual to whomever and for ourselves. So it serves us well right now in long-form documentary for ourselves. Oh, yes, and I really love the work you've done. The film, I saw the film, and it's brilliant. Uh, and you've got so much information in there. It is, uh, it's fast, it's edited well, and the story, it's all about story. You keep mm-hmm. the viewer totally engaged. So let me just say to the audience, it's Stranger at Home is the untold story of military mental health. Uh, it's a film that takes a deep dive and looks at the reasons why we have military mental health crisis and the solutions that are available to people who serve and their family members uh, because the recovery is uh, what we're all about here. This film shows you information about recovery uh, from the predictable psychological injuries of war. So you do this through telling of the intimate and overlapping stories of three distinct veterans Dr. Mm-hmm. Mark Russell, a Navy commander, retired, and psychologist forced to become a whistleblower. Dr. Mm-hmm. Charles Figley, a Vietnam Marine turned world-renowned trauma expert, and Stephen Elliott, the Army Ranger who was directly involved in the accidental killing of fellow Ranger Pat Tillman while on a mission in Afghanistan in 2004. We're still mm-hmm. mourning Pat Tillman. That was so mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And we want to hear his side of the story and learn the truth about all that. So tell us, how did you find this incredible story? Um, the, well, I'll take that in two parts. Um, when we, The biggest question that we get asked a lot these days, first of all, uh, what you saw was, a, was our refined cut. We're not at picture lock yet for all the filmmakers that are listening that know that term. We're, we're going to be at picture lock by the end of January when we begin our our public release strategy. So I, I really appreciate you having a view. We're still putting all the, the bells and whistles on, but we're, we're so close. And we're so close after an eight-year journey, as you well know, Carol, um, <laughs> to, to get this off, you know, to get this completed to this stage. And, and so the first my first answer to your question about how did we come across this story or how do we, we focus on this story of the, of the untold story of military mental health versus just the story about what is PTSD or those are great stories and there can't be enough films about these subjects. But so on our journey of beginning to, you know, to make this film, we were about two years into our cinematic journalism of research and development and finding out, what we didn't know, and that's when we met our main subject, who's the moral conscience of the story, Dr. Mark Russell. He's a retired Navy commander, psychologist. You mentioned that he was forced to become a whistleblower at the height 
of the Iraq invasion when he realized on deployment that the military was deliberately neglecting the mental health of their members. He was there on deployment, uh, ready to receive mass casualties, the first mass mass casualties out of Iraq. And the, the commanding officer of the field hospital said, I don't know why your psychology team is here, Russell. You know, we don't, you know, we don't have a space for mental health here. He was pretty dumbfounded, as you can imagine. Training to be a, you know, a Navy psychologist, he was the head of neuropsychiatry at Naval Base Bremerton, and, and they had no space for mental health treatment for incoming casualties. And that was his first indicator that something was off. And that's when he began his journey to go up and down the chain of command to say, we're going to have a big problem on our hands if we don't take this seriously. And when they kept saying yes, 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 and nothing happened, that's when he made the very difficult decision to be a whistleblower and speak up and tell the truth. There were steep reprisals, which that's his story in the film. And so when we heard his story, all this is to say that when we heard his story, we just said to ourselves, oh, my gosh, there's something deeper going on here that if we spot like this, then we can talk about the solution for the crisis, for the, for the PTSD rate, the suicide rate, the incarceration rate, the homelessness rate. Those are the oh, headlines. Right. Yeah. Those are the headline subjects that everybody hears about. But unless we we just really spotlight this, you're like, what's going on underneath? We're just doing Band-Aid measures. So we all looked at each other and said, oh, my gosh, we have to go big or go home. We have to tell a bigger story. So that's how we got to the story that we are right now. And um, and we're very fortunate that we have three subjects, and they all are in cohort with each other to transform military mental health policy, the stigma that's still in place, that, that, that is not helping. It's creating the barriers to real care for our membership, men, women, and their families. So that's the long answer. <laughs> I hope oh, that's, oh, that's a good answer. Well, you know, yeah. when you say that uh, Mark found they were deliberately neglecting yeah. the mental health area, um, yeah. he he knew from uh, the uh, control sheet that uh, service personnel were only supposed to be returned to the uh, to active duty or to frontline yeah. duty so many times, and they were going beyond that. Is that right? Can you Correct. clarify and tell us that? Yeah, sure. Oh, sure. You know, there's a lot of information in it, and we we try to spoon it into you know we spoon it out in the in the storytelling so that an audience can really take it in. Much as we had to really take in the information, we want it we wanted to go down easily, not push you away. So to your point, there is a 100 year old mental health policy still in place. That is from World War. It's from World War One. Uh, that says the policy is we will we patch them up real fast to get them back to the front line as quickly as possible. It's not about assessing are they can they go back. It's about just band aids to send them back. 
And thus, today, four, five deployments, they know without a doubt, you know, from the research, from the studies they've done, and when I say they, I mean the military. I mean they have the yeah. data. They they have the data to know that you should never send someone who has PTSD back to the front line. So you can see what where the neglect is. It, the policy is is that they just are. It's about getting them back. They're training them to to go back, but they're these are human beings. And there is no a mental health core in the military that's really helping these these people that have enlisted and, and said yes to stepping up and serving. There, there's no core there to assist them in knowing what's happening to their brains and their central nervous systems as they go forward. That, which is which is also policy. There's no there's a fragmented system it's under military medicine not there's no mental health cool oh my gosh right right and so, so that this is that's, for, yeah. that's the heart of this film and the fact that he uh couldn't stand it and had to be become a whistleblower to get this information yeah. out and i'm sure that that yeah. cut his uh tenure uh, in service, short, right? Oh, oh yes, oh yes. You, you're. Uh, spoiler alert. Yes, you know, the reprisals were very steep. I mean, it was it was a long it was a long journey of three years of going up and down the chain of command in a command position to say, hey, we have to do something. They'd say, yes, write the write the 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 plan, write the proposal. You know, get it. You know, we're we're with you, and then nothing would happen. And finally, because he just couldn't live with his own heart any longer and be complicit any longer. He decided to go public with the truth about what wasn't being done, what they know needs to be done. It's their own policies. They just don't, they don't fulfill them. And he, he, so he went public and the reprisals, yes, he was, uh, he was not promoted. He was, they don't, force anybody out especially at the officer level they just intimidate you they make it so uncomfortable for you his life was threatened he was his family's life his lives were threatened um and and, it, and he tried to stay in for as long as he could because he really believed carol that he would have more leverage being inside in a command position than he would outside you know knocking on the door mm-hmm. but that he finally had to go, and after a 26-year wow. military career, I know, I know, highly decorated, you know, pinned by President George Bush, but uh, with for the Meritorious Service Award for his work in PTSD. Uh, oh, how just, wonderful! Well, all of that felt like felt like for naught when <laughs> when he was coming up against the machine. In other words, right, and, right, and I and I want I want to toss this in there for the for the listeners, and and this is you know this is important to us in the film. It's extremely important to us in the film, is that these three veterans that are that are telling the story of untold, the untold story of military mental health through their own experiences. Every single one of them has such respect for their military experience. To this day, they do. This is not a blameful film. It's a film about um, 
accountability and just like, hey, hey, let's, we can do this. You're poised, military, to be the leaders in mental health reform. And thanks to a pandemic where there's, where the conversation about mental health is front room, finally, finally. It's not back room anymore. It's not just... (laughs) It's not just that community over there, the military people that are struggling with PTSD. We all have an understanding to some degree and a listening for these subjects now. And the military, they are in such a unique position. It's a civil rights, it's a civil rights you know, subject to, be, to step up and be the world leaders in mental health reform and eradicate stigma. That is still a climate and a policy in the military. Stigma. You can't, you know, you can't put your hand yes. up and say it, 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 that. That's a barrier to care right there for all of us as human beings to be judged for having, you know, emotional, you know, psychiatric uh, problems. If you break your arm, you get you get a someone says easily go go <laughs> go get an X-ray, get a cast yeah. on your arm, it'll mend. That is not the way we're we're still dealing with mental health. Largely, but because of the pandemic, we're we're looking at it more with more kindness and compassion. So absolutely, that, but what a blessing yeah. that you and and Mark Russell connected, yeah. so you could tell this brilliant story. Ooh, you know, I I look. Thank you. I I look back and I have I have such thankfulness. I you know I can. I'm preaching to the choir when I say there's no mistakes and there's and it's all just this po- point of attraction, point of attraction and saying yes and staying open. And he was right there on the, you know, on that path. And we just said yes to him and we just said yes. You know, our our biggest intention was to tell his story and then to bring mm-hmm. in the other the other two voices to amplify his story through their stories. So it, it, he is our, it, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a story. And, you know, so we're, we're very thankful that, um, great. Uh, that, yes. <laughs> and so, well, give us the status of your film. Cause, uh, we really would love to know, uh, more about yeah. what your plans are, especially what your plans are for, um, yeah. your impact outreach distribution. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for asking. So, as I mentioned, we're we're so close to our release, and we are planning because of what we've been we've been doing in pre-distribution a lot of uh, virtual events. We've really seized the um, um, the baton on on how in this hybrid um, distribution time. I mean, because again, thanks to the pandemic. Everything's gone virtual. Um, festivals have gone virtual. I don't know if they'll return fully to physical festivals. It'll be perhaps half and half as we move forward here because you're reaching a lot more eyeballs through, a virtu- through virtual platforms these days. And so I've really been mentored by some tremendous people, thanks to you, uh, Peter Broderick and Keith Ahuat, that that this really is the sign of the times, a virtual delivery. And so in our pre-distribution strategy, we've we've promoted the film through our social media campaigns. Through uh, we created a live stream show called Championing Mental Health 
that we just keep the conversation about mental health going there, and the guests have been people from our cast, clips from our film. I'm there as the as the co-director. It, it, so it's been a way for us to build our audience, to engage our audience, to build partnerships, meaningful partnerships as we go forward. And when I say partnerships, I mean from funding all the way to those aligned, like-hearted, like-minded people that we're all on the same path together talking about the same things. Um, so many nonprofit groups that are dedicated to uh, on-the-ground veteran support and their families. They're all working in siloed efforts. And our, we stand out as the film that's speaking about tying all of these siloed efforts together in a behavioral health core you know, a national behavioral health score that does not exist. So it's real interesting to be playing in the virtual events um, waters. There's been such power there. We So much has come to us, you know, as a result. So where we are, we're close to the film being absolutely completed and ready for its public release where we – begin our first window of impact and outreach, which is our film festival for about film festivals for about a year. We're submitting right now for the 2022 lineup. Um, and hopefully some of us, you know, we'll, we'll get into some really good ones and some, some other great ones as well. We've been invited to, to submit to, to a few and we're just, we're just open and, um, and, and following that, that trail um, so there's momentum from our pre-distribution virtual events strategy, and we're just continuing to just move forward like that. And that's how it's working for us so far. So, Well, you mentioned educational screenings. So yeah. um, are you thinking you can do the, most of those yourself, I, I think, we these are. days? Yes, Wonderful. Carol, Tell that, me yeah. about it. Yes, we are. So... So this first window of distribution and, and the and the wisdom for filmmakers, especially doc filmmakers, is to really, you know, lead the dance and, and, and hold the reins of your vision that you've put so much into and not be so quick to give it away to a distributor, the first deal that you make and have that be it. I've learned so much about the these strategies, again, through Peter and Keith and and so our first window is the festival window, and so we're moving forward with that. Simultaneously, we're really taking the reins on the educational outreach because we believe our film is such a teaching tool as well as a public awareness tool. So, you know, just organically, you know, both of our – two of our subjects – they're both, one is a professor, Mark, is a professor of psychology at Antioch University, and our other, sub, one of our other subject, Dr. Figley, Vietnam veteran, and he's a world-renowned trauma expert, he's on the prof- professorial staff at Tulane University. So both of those universities have been working with us to, for our pre-distribution outreach. We've tapped into their social media teams, and they have co-partnered with us to put out what we're doing and so they want us to screen with them when we're done so those are those it's a big yes we've just already established the partnership and so with with that leverage we go to other universities and and military institutions that are that we know will 
benefit from a screening with us, and we're just we're running that show, and we can we can and are doing it from our own you know virtual events knowledge and and team understanding of what you know how to deliver something to them. So that's us. We're not relying on a distributor for that. And um, good, I, you know, good. Yeah, well, you right. you'll make more money. And if it's yeah. not successful, then you don't have you don't have anybody to blame. You know you're doing everything <laughs> possible. I like that yeah. when you're in charge because filmmakers, oh, yeah. you guys have this gut feeling about all this stuff. You know in your heart what's the right thing to do. But so often when distributors come along and people are at the place you are, and they say, yeah. oh, we love your film, we'd like to take it. It's too easy to say, oh, wonderful, wonderful, because such filmmakers, after all these years, are tired. And it's it's a glorious thing to hear someone say how great your film is, and don't worry, we'll take care of it for you. And you yeah. sign away the rights, and that's it. You seldom see any more money. That's what I hear. Right, right, and you're you're my biggest teacher on all of this, Carol. The art, <laughs> the art of film funding, and the art of receiving revenue for all of the work that has gone in. You know, that's it's an art form, and I've really shifted my thinking in my time on this path, and because of you, and because of the other mentors that I've surrounded myself with. Um, it's very empowering. I, you know, I, I had a. We're getting calls from distributors already because of the pre-distribution. Pre, and I'm going to shift that word around for anybody that's not in the film industry listening. Pre-impact, pre-outreach. It's the same as pre-distribution for the filmmakers that are listening. We, you know, we because of our our work on that and the fun of doing that and the empowerment of our virtual events you know, campaign, we've had distributors reach back to us for meetings. And I because I'm confident about understanding how we can keep the reins and lead the dance. I'm able to have very, very clear conversations with distributors ahead of time and tell them very easily what our first window is. And then say and and have them say, "Wow, that's that's great." I said, "You don't have to worry about educational. We've got that covered." Because the truth is, a lot of distributors don't want to deal with the educational platform. They don't know how to deal with the, exactly. the educational, right? So I've learned that, and so I can hear the relief, and 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 I can hear their like, "Oh, I'm work. I'm I'm potentially collaborating with a filmmaker that knows exactly what they want." Just, and you're not afraid that, to speak up and say so. That's the key. You've got to say key. what you want, right? That's exactly right. And it's the knowledge and just being in the film communities that I've been in that have been speaking so, uh, how do I, the best word, speaking so um, passionately and positively about the power of this hybrid time that we've arrived at again, because of a pandemic. We're in a virtual world, and and we can reach more people that way. So embrace it rather than be afraid of it and learn everything you can about it. So I've just put myself in those arenas, again, thanks to you, <laughs> to want to be, to be, you know, tutored that way. And it's really paying off because I am able to have, nothing feels frightening anymore to me. 
you know. Oh, um, great. Oh, my God. That's a great place to be, to know that you have enough knowledge to stay in your power. Yeah. This is wonderful, Beth. Yeah. Thank you. It is. Good it's, place. it's a great Good place. It's a sweet spot. It really is. So. <laughs> well, now, here's the thing. We both took this class with Peter Roderick. I took two of them. Did you take both yeah, classes? Yeah, me too. Okay. So remember in there, there was a day when he taught us about Mm -hmm. the contracts and what to Mm -hmm. do and what to say. Well, I took great notes uh, for for that class for sure. So I had a filmmaker who I was working with and she had been given a contract. And so I said, just that is the worst case scenario. I didn't even Mm -hmm. read it. I said, I'm going to tell you, he's going to give you everything he Mm -hmm. wants, but nothing you want. So I went through Peter's list and I said, look, ask for five things. If you get one of them, you'll be great. It's better than what you have. She got all five. The guy wanted awesome. the film so much. Awesome. <laughs> Isn't awesome. that wonderful? It's being yeah. prepared. It's the knowledge ahead of time. And uh, no quabble. He gave her everything she asked for. You know, Peter said, take a year contract. Say, I want to see what you're doing in a year so I can decide if yeah. I want to keep you or not. And uh I want you yeah. to pay for all the advertising material, and I want right. it. It was wonderful. That's that's just see that's I I think most filmmakers and this is and I'm speaking for myself to learn and to embrace being this business person and business in the sense of as you said getting getting the information being prepared and being really clear about what you want rather other than this other identity of just I'm a, I'm I'm an artist I'm a filmmaker I don't know anything and so you tell me that that's where I am choosing I chose I'm choosing something else now and and I really I'm having these conversations now with funders from the point of view of filmmakers shouldn't have to crawl to people for funding because films matter. They matter. Everyone's watching them. Everyone's wa- you know, looking for content in their bubbles during a pandemic. And they're watching yes. films. So they're important and, they're, and they matter and they're fulfilling. It doesn't matter what, what world you're in, what business you're in. Our content matters to you. So we have to shift this paradigm we filmmakers of our worthiness to yeah. receive funding and and to make our you know those that would not traditionally fund a film because it's considered high risk it's not real estate you know it's just the opposite of what they're they're used to typically funding or 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 charitable cause and that's that's got a shift i i you you know yes. well. I re, I I recently partnered with a non traditional funding source, a foundation that incredibly lovely, lovely. Our missions were very focused in the same direction, but they've never funded an art based project before. And they shifted. And I congratulated them for stepping in to this arena and and made more non traditional sources and foundations and corporations have the willingness to meet the filmmakers 
you know, at the, at the same table rather than the filmmakers having to, you know, be desperate and, and, and search for them. That's what yes, I stand that, for today. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful because the truth is that you are mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. It's not mm-hmm. only making the film, but you have to market it and sell it yourself. <laughs> And that's yes. accepting that and and staying in your power and being yes. prepared and having the knowledge behind you, which you do now mm-hmm. from all the these virtual mm-hmm. screenings and the Peter Broderick classes, is just yes. we just have to keep educating ourselves constantly. Yeah, you know, I I, um, I made a decision a long time. I started out as an actor, and uh, that that wasn't you know at Carnegie Mellon that I, I I was in their acting program, but I was also a double major as a writer. And it was very quickly that I realized I really don't want to give away my power and just be an actor and be moved around by people. I mean, the, the actors who become producers and take charge over their destiny, I, I, I listen for them and I look at them and I appreciate them. I, I made the decision a long time ago that I wanted to learn everything about, you know, production. And, and now... It, I'm, you know, I'm just really reveling in learning everything I can about the business side of of getting your work out there and and embracing it. You know, I so that's I I, I just keep using that word. That's important. Other, yeah, it, it's you it's know, been the Spike shift Lee, for me. Spike Lee says the power is behind the camera, Beth. Oh, it that's is. That's right. It really is. Behind. The camera. So it's the producer, it's the people on the mm-hmm. production team that are in yeah. control. Uh, so move, being in that position and then honoring the fact that you have so much knowledge and expanding it <clears throat> so you are ahead of the curve when you talk to a distributor, um, you yeah. have to look at them as if they are sharks because you don't know the good from the bad. you It's really hard yeah. to tell who's going to honor their contracts. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree. And, and, I want, and I also want to add, I want to, for myself, I, <laughs> for myself, I want to soften that just a little bit by saying my intention with everyone is to collaborate with them, not to yes. give away, not to give away anything, not to, not to, you know, uh, they, they know everything. I, my intention is to collaborate with them. So if I come in with that for everyone that I'm meeting on the path here from a distributor to, you know, the production attorneys yesterday as we get closer to, you know, needing their eyeballs on our, on our final cut, you know, for all of our releases, you know, our licensing, everything, all of that has to, I'm collaborating with them. And, Rather than oh my gosh, lawyers, lawyers, I don't know what to do with them. They're human beings, and they have their skill set. I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with, and I need a lot of people around me to pull this off, to you know, to, to see Absolutely it all the way. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> so, I, so it's a collaborative intention that I have in going into any conversation today, and that feels so different than being. And it is again being prepared and feeling feeling the confidence of the preparation and the knowledge and all of that. But I still don't know everything. But if I choose the collaborative energy, I'm going to learn something in speaking to everyone that I'm I'm encountering. 
So yes, that's a brilliant way to go about it. Very good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Back to the film. Uh, let's go back to Mark Russell because sure. he's such a lovely human being, and he mm-hmm. comes through in the film as a heart-centered, caring person. And mm-hmm. uh, so now. <clears throat> Uh, you mentioned in the film something about uh, the changes that the United Kingdom put into effect, which reduced their PTSD down to 4%, where the mm-hmm. United States is still very, very high. So mm-hmm. um, that re- yeah. uh, that led directly to the lawsuit that Mark Russell filed. Tell us something about that. That's the heart well, of the film. Yeah, well... Yes. So the United Kingdom, um, there was a lawsuit in the United Kingdom. That's that's what we speak about in the film. There, they, it was a civil lawsuit filed by troops, um, British troops, who were who who had not been adequately treated for PTSD, their mental health issues, and it was thrown out of court, but it got enough press you know, and attention that the MOD, which is the equivalent of our DOD here, so the Ministry of Defense in the United Kingdom, because of this class action lawsuit, um, took note and looked at their, you know, they, they took a lot of public, you know, scrutiny. And they looked at their policies and they made real policy changes. They, they um, eradicated stigma. And when I say eradicate, I, they, 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 in the policy, they placed a zero tolerance for stigma within their military. So that's a, it's a climate and a mindset that, that they put into policy that this, there will be no tolerance for stigma. They provided treatment for their uh, troops returning and discharging. They provided follow-up treatments. They, did, they, they, they put into policy all of those pieces that would then provide the data that you just spoke about that their PTSD rates were significantly lessened. Their suicide rates were significantly lessened. These are these are statistics that because of their policy changes, because they got the heat from a class action lawsuit, that have made a difference. No one said stop, you know, going to war, stop training troops. No one told them to do that. They just have a healthier military mindset and more mental fitness within now just for their members who are serving. So as Mark says in the film, if they can do that through policy change, then there's no reason why we can't do that either. So he leaves it there. He leaves it, you know, he, he, he cites the United Kingdom's, um, how they've handled their military mental health crisis in the last That's decade. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he filed you know? a lawsuit, a similar uh, He's been trying, right, he's been trying to get a groundswell for a class action lawsuit here. His belief is that that would um, 
you know, either go all the way through and prompt policy change or do what happened in the UK and create a groundswell. I'm not sure where the class action lawsuit is for them, him and the and Charles Figley, the other um, cast member in the film, and Stephen Elliott, but they all believe that that's a distinct possibility. You know what it's been, Carol? It's been getting a law firm to come on board and 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 do the deep dive for this. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe seeing this the film in its completion and because it's there's there's nothing, there's no traction. They've they've had multiple, multiple um meetings with different major law firms across the country, but nobody's really stepping in. Because it's a Supreme Court you know, it's a Supreme Court crime to to get the attention and, and, and file this you know have the suit go all the way through. But they're speaking about it as, a, as like the only way. And um, perhaps, perhaps, be, you know, the, the film might bring forward the, the right um, legal team to do it. That would be Definitely. incredible. Yes, yeah. it would be. I, I think that your film will do a lot more than any of you ever thought of because it is a powerful film. I love the way you opened it with the flag and the uh, four uh, jets flying over in formation. I mean, you just wham. You started out with all this power that the government has, and then yeah. you tell us that the one thing they're not doing is they're not concerned about the mental health of the of the soldiers. And these are just kids. These guys are they're so kids. young. They're so young. They're they're so young. I mean, it's, it's such a it's such a rich and complex subject matter, as you well know and very personally know. I mean, this has been going on for a long time, and it's cumulative. And and there's the automatic reset after every war. I mean, in the film, you know, one of the things that we learned through Mark Russell was that there was a reentry reconditioning program that was put into place by FDR. In 1945, as at the end of World War II, he said he saw the troops coming back, you know, the shell shock, and he said he said to the DOD, which was the um, the uh, Department of War at the time, it, it, same thing. It was just called the Department of War at the time. He said to them, "We are going to do better. We must do better." And he mandated that the Department of War put into place a reentry program for troops coming back a mental health reconditioning program that had cutting-edge therapy in it. And astonishingly, this program was John Huston, director, legendary director John Huston, who was in the Army at the time, young commissioned officer, he was ordered by the military to film this program. And it's the documentary Let There Be Light by John Huston. And, oh, how marvelous. It, it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint for what worked. That's the thing. The film, there's no actors in the film. It's all, it's all troops who look just completely gone getting off the transport ships. They all came by ship at that time. And there's no women, unfortunately, because weren't, women weren't serving on the front lines. But these men went into this program and seven weeks later they're playing softball with each other and they're laughing and they're with their families and the therapies that they had for them were not it wasn't just pills 
it was art therapy and music therapy and they had meditation they had uh, occupational therapy of you know what it's going to be you know to help them get ready for another job that was this program and they were not right right so so this you saw this but but so this film it gets ready for its public premiere at it was premiering at the um Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And at the last minute, before the public would see this and see that there was a, they figured out a way to help people, the military police came in and confiscated the film. They confiscated their own film. They ah. classified it. Yep, they classified it. They put it on a shelf. And it wasn't until 35 years, it was Walter Mondale under the Carter administration. What is that? 30 years later? who found the film and declassified it and made it public. It, it is now on YouTube. Anybody listening, Let There Be Light by John Houston. It's his, probably his first documentary. My God, it's oh, there. Watch it. Our film oh, oh my is about gosh. to... Right. And we have not, so FDR dies in office, the war ends, the program is gone, and there has not been another mental health reconditioning program since then. Oh but that's, gosh, that's incredible. You know, John know. Houston was impervious yeah. to death. He um, <laughs> he flew on uh, a lot. Uh, he was a, uh, a cinematographer in the war. Yes. He was up yes. there in the airplane. Yes. And, oh. and my friend Sonny Fasoulis flew with John. That's how he met John oh Houston. Oh and uh, he said that uh, when Elvis Black was going, they were flying these big old bombers, and when the flag yeah. was going off outside, Houston was shouting, my God, that's gorgeous, and he was running from one window to another <laughs> window to get these shots. And, and everybody else is trying to save their own skin, you know. Stay alive, and he was right? never afraid to stay alive. Um, he didn't worry fun. about that. And he went through a lot oh. of those bombing missions and survived. Oh, my gosh. That's an amazing story. I've not heard that one. I'm going to be, I'm going to be sharing that one, Carol. My God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was a character, and Sonny loved uh, to play cards, and uh, so did Houston. So, uh, But they became good friends, and when Sonny got wow. out of the service, a lot of those servicemen who went through hell, uh, yeah. I have been in, invited to some of the prisoner of war uh, groups, mm. and uh, you find... In my uh, opinion, what I saw was mm-hmm. that the guys came back and they either became multimillionaires because they had been to the face of death and survived. Yes. And yes. some said, no, this is, I don't want that. I, I had a nine-to-five yeah. job and a family. They went one way yeah. or the other. Uh, right. But they, they stayed in touch and they still stay in touch in these wow. meetings, which is so important. Beth. I love wow. those meetings. It's it's and that's an experience, a POW experience. That is that is a an experience, a band of brothers that no nobody else can even touch what they experience. It's amazing. Yes. Wow. 
They're all lovely people. But wow, I, back to your fin, film, it's so important yeah. to me because uh, I I live by this base over here, uh, the Navy yeah. base, and I get to go on there and do shopping and stuff. And I'm just so impressed with the quality yeah. of uh, men who ha- who are serving our country, and we're just so yeah. very lucky to have them. They're dedicated. They are, they are, and we and and yeah, the, the the you know the the percentage of of the population is about one percent. That is that is this group of incredible people that that enlist and serve and and are dedicated. And but the but to abandon that one percent and not take care of them so fully from beginning, middle, and end. Uh, all the way to the end of their lives. That's I think that's just heinous, and so I, I agree with you. I'm from a huge military family. I have brothers that went to West Point. My brother-in-law went to West Point. I mean, I, I those uniforms. You know, it's a lovely thing to see that that training and that and that just that choice. And um, but there's human beings under those uniforms, and what we ask them to do, we have to. We have to help them repair and recover from that, and it's really possible with what we, mm-hmm. you know, what we what we know to do, what they know to do, and why they're not doing it fully actively. It, it remains the why, and and so our film just um, it just addresses the human the humanity of it, and I'm so glad you 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 um, felt the character of Mark Russell. That was that was so important to us as we go through. We believe the character drives every story, and so it was really important for us, for people to get to know him, and care about him, and to have a listening yes. for for his sort of insider scoop on on what he experienced, and um, and so may that create change. You know, I'm it excited. Definitely will. Those dialogues, yeah. So. Well, but Beth, we, we're almost uh, at our uh, time limit, but I do want to know more. Just a yeah. quick story about Steve Elliott. Elliot, oh, sure. Who accidentally sure, sure. killed Pat Tillman. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, um, so Stephen Elliott, he was an Army Ranger, um, and, and at, at, uh, when 9-11 hit, he was in, bus- in business school, and like a lot of young men and women at that time, when that happened, something clicked for them, and they said, I, I, I want to serve. He left business school, joined the Army, and went into the elite Army Ranger program because he really wanted to be on the – he wanted to come over to the front line where he believed the terrorists were and to, and to be part of that and help with that. And likewise, Pat Tillman – NFL player at the same time, huge, you know, professional sports contract, 9-11 hit. His, his rationale was the same, and their paths dovetailed in the Army Ranger, in the Army Rangers. And so Pat Tillman and his brother Kevin Tillman, by the way, and Stephen Elliott were all part of the same unit deployed to Afghanistan in 2004. And on their first, very first mission – on the Afghan-Pakistan border, there was um, a big a confluent, a, you know, kerfuffle of communication that happened. Their unit was divided, which you, you're really that's not a, not a good idea. 
um, because communication can fail. And because of the communication failure and their unit was split, uh, there was the belief that the one unit from the other was enemy. And Stephen Elliott, who was a gunner, was ordered in this, there, an, IED, an IED exploded and that set off, they were in a canyon, nobody could really see clearly, it was dusk, and Stephen Elliott and another gunner were ordered to fire in the direction on a ridge where they believed the enemy was firing at them. And indeed, it was the other unit that Pat Tillman was in, and that was the friendly fire that happened. It was Pat, Pat was killed, another of their unit members was killed, and two were very seriously wounded. They don't get the attention that Pat gets. And when we first met Stephen, Stephen was introduced to us, by the way, through Mark Russell, and we were coming to film with Mark Russell and his family in Seattle, and he just very easily said, hey, I, I know I'm working with Stephen Elliott, who was directly involved in the friendly fire incident that killed Pat Tillman. Would you want to speak to him? And I, you know, I said, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. And it was, it was, it was just like that. I had a brief phone call with Stephen before we went up to Seattle. He lived in this, in the Washington area. It's a really rainy day, the day we were shooting in, in, in an interior. And he came on his own, knocked on the door on, in perfect time, sat right down with us and just opened his heart up. And I'm so thankful to have met him and to be on a journey with him. You know, still to this day, we're doing all kinds of wonderful things together for in support of veteran mental health, military mental health. So this, this event, this incident that happened, when we met Stephen, he said, you know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of friendly fire incidents that we never, ever hear about. You know, that, that we just don't hear those stories. But because of who this was, that's why it gets still so much attention. And he's had to live with that and reconcile that and heal from his own, you know, um, uh, injury, psychological injury of having killed, you know, be, you know, be responsible. They're not sure. They'll never know exactly if it was his gun or the other gunner's gun, but he fired in that direction and he lives with that on his heart and soul and accepts oh, the responsibility for that. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, he's right when he says this is totally underreported. Oliver Stone told us about that. Born on the 4th of July, you know, when he had to go over and apologize to those people. Uh, That was really important. And Oliver told us again in Platoon, you know, all all in uh, about that. So, bravo. Good for you for bringing that up. Well, you know, it's just it's it's just another part of the of the piece of the, the story that the people don't hear about, and you know, we're not trying to exploit his story, but he's just such a, an articulate voice on the subject matter, and he's working to reform his recovery, Carol, and he really went down the you know into the depths of of close to taking his life as a result of not knowing what was going on with him, uh, you know, returning. He didn't know what he was struggling with. That's that, you know, neglect. 
you know, they say goodbye yeah. and you're out the door and there's nothing for them. And, and it took him a long time to get help, to begin to recover. And like so many veterans I've talked to, I'm sure you have too, when they transform their their story into service again as a veteran, that's when they really start to get better. And that's true for Stephen. And so he, he just, he aligns with Mark's message and Charles's message about the, you know, let's get under the, the topics and get to the real issues of the policy that's in place that does not serve what we're all wanting here, which is the well-being of these people. And so um, he's he's exceptional, uh, you know. I'm I'm just like honored to know these 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 people. So many I've met, but um, yeah. And, and I will add uh, statistically that the friendly fire deaths and the psychological casualties, suicide casualties, far far outpace the actual combat casualties. Oh. Oh my yeah. gosh! When you when you hear oh that, you gosh. just go, "Oh my gosh!" You know, mistakes this get is, made. This, was, this yeah. is solvable. <laughs> is the point? This is solvable, and your <laughs> film brings that out. Well, thank you. Well, this thank is you. wonderful. So. Oh, Thanks, I know Kat. your film is going to do oh, so much good. You have uh, a wonderful Thanks. film there, and it's going to be great benefit to a lot of people. Now, Thanks, what Kat. Claire and I'd like you to do is maybe come back in six or seven months and tell us how you're doing with your educational <gasps> screenings, your mental health conferences, and fill film us festivals. in. Yeah. Yeah, and yes. film festivals. Hopefully, we'll be we'll be screening at some film festivals by then. Um, I would love to come back. I think, you know, I I would be honored to come back and report the next, you know, where things have moved to, you know, because it's it's a ride, <laughs> and I'm on it. It is a ride. And the only way we can learn is to share with each other. Keep sharing yeah. what we learn and what works and what doesn't work. That's the key, right? I. Uh, without without a doubt, yeah. Carol, there's, there's there's slices of the pie for all of us. I think it's an inclusive. We have to be inclusive with with each other and help each other as filmmakers. And um, I'm very honored to be in that conversation and offer offer just my piece of the experience. So, yes, it's a big yes. Okay, sweetheart. Thank you so much for your time, and my uh, best of luck. Lots of good luck. Thank yes. you, Carol. I, yes, and, I am and so thankful. Yeah, go on. I, I just wanted to also uh, ask you one more time, Beth, if you'll just please share your information on pe- how people can find you. Sure, Thank thanks, you. Claire. Um, yeah, for sure. So the best way for people to get on our on our village mailing list for the the, the latest and greatest updates about where we're going to be publicly screening our virtual events is to go to our website, please, at strangeratthome.org. Strangeratthome.org. Our trailer is there. You can watch our trailer. But also on every one of our pages is a join us button. Please join us. And you will be the first to get our, you know, our, where we're screening. And we'd love to hear from you and meet up with you virtually or in public, you know, down the road as we as we release the um, release the baby. So 
strangerhome.org. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you yeah. so much. Thanks, Claire, for a wonderful hosting and for the show. Oh, as always, thank you a both. great pleasure. <laughs> Wishes for a happy Thanksgiving okay. to you both. And, and yes. um, oh, thank this, is, you. this has been a lovely, I'm so thankful. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, Beth, it's been delightful. Thank you, Claire. Thank you all, yes. Be well, everyone. Okay. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer, legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.